Well, we're in a, a three-week series at the moment called Before We Begin. Last week we looked at how God established rhythms of life through com- uh, complementary partners. And we looked particularly at how men and women should be image-bearing together equally in His presence. And uh, this week we're moving on to rhythms of life again, but instead of looking at these partnerships that we see in Genesis 1 and this glorious song of creation, uh, what we're actually going to look at now is our rhythms of work and rest. Now, if I was to ask you to raise your hand, if you think that you just have way too much time on your hands, that rest comes really easy to you, you feel restored all the time, then I wonder how many hands you'd see in the air. Not very many, hey? Busyness is an epidemic in our culture. Distraction is also an epidemic in our culture. Busyness keeps us from rest, and distinctions keep us from resting the way that God wants us to rest, the way that we're made to rest. Wayne Muller, in his book, Restoring the Sacred Rhythm of Rest, said this, I have visited the large offices of wealthy donors, the crowded rooms of social service agencies, and the small houses of the poorest families. Remarkably, within the mosaic, there is a universal refrain. I am so busy. It does not seem to matter if the people I speak with are doctors or daycare workers, shopkeepers or social workers, parents or teachers, nurses or lawyers, students or therapists, community activists or cooks. Despite their good hearts and equally good intentions, their work in the world rarely rarely feels light, pleasant or healing. Instead, as it all piles endlessly upon itself, the whole experience of being alive begins to melt into one enormous obligation. It becomes a standard greeting everywhere. I am so busy. Can you relate to that? Sometimes we wear it like a badge of honor, don't we? That's a problem. Barna Research in the UK found that only 35% of practicing Christians said they listened to, read, or engaged the Bible with, uh, with the Bible more than once a week. In the U.S., same research organization found that the average Christian spends no more than a minute a day in prayer, while the average pastor only spends an average of five minutes prayer a day. The church is impoverished by biblical illiteracy and a lack of solitude with God. The church has fallen into a cultural trap around rhythms of work and rest that seriously inhibit our spiritual growth. It has put us in a position where we might think we know God, but often we don't know Him very well. I believe that if we were to take the God-given rhythms of Genesis 1 and 2 seriously in our church, our city, and our nation would be transformed. I mean, that sounds radical. It's a radical statement, but I really believe it's true. Now, let me put a little 
health warning on this for you, okay? As I've studied for this this week, and been thinking about it, praying about it, I have been torn apart. I realize I'm not doing this. I am not living according to the rhythms of life that God has given us. And I need to work out how to do that. And I imagine that most of us sitting here today will be in a similar position. Now, I'd like us to do a little, something a little different for our Bible reading this morning. Um, Matthew, Matty Mo, where are you? You're going to come up, and he's going to read for us. But as he reads, I'd like all of you guys to be stood together. So let's stand. And when we get to the words in red, it would be great if we could all read them together. Okay? Matthew Mo. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it, and it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let the dry ground disappear, and it was so. Appear, sorry. And it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees in the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds, and it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, and it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. 
Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Excellent. Let's grab a seat. Father God, help us to see this incredible song of yours over creation and to work out our rhythms as we look to be image bearers of you. Help us, Lord, we pray, to see more of you in the way that we live, to display more of you in the way that we live. Help us to live with you in everything that we do, and for your glory. Amen. The first thing I want us to look at is that this is a song of work. Rhythms of work and rest are built in to the foundations of the creation of the world, and into God's people through these five opening books. Now, with this opening book, Genesis, we look at it as one book, but actually it's part of something called the Pentateuch, five books. We've got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Numbers, and all of them make up this one book that Moses wrote, okay? So actually, he's introducing us to the whole story through the establishment of his people, which we know in the bigger story leads to Jesus and ultimately our salvation in him and the renewal of all things in the new creation. It's like you know, Bible summed up in its shortest form ever. Um, but that is what is going on here, okay? So that's what he's doing. He's, he's introducing us to the whole story, to this great big story of all creation of all time. And he gives us, right here at the beginning, days, weeks, Sabbaths, seasons, moon cycles, festivals, as we get further into the Pentateuch, times of fasting, and times of feasting. Work and rest are God-given. Now, work is hard, should be, but before we get to why it's hard in Genesis 3, we have to recognize that it is also in the making of things that are very good and very good in creation in Genesis 1 and 2. In our busy and hurried lives, we can make a serious error here. We assume that our busyness means we work hard or work well. I don't think we do very often. When I look back at how I worked at university, I see two polar opposites. My undergrad, I worked as little as possible. It was all about play. It was totally self-indulgent. I'm at uni to have a good time. All right? Some of you will recognize that. And so, therefore, I'm going to do as little as I can, knowing what I need to do to pass, do that, and then go and have a good time. 
Go and enjoy myself. Be with friends, play as much rugby as I can, meet as many people as I can. That's kind of how I did it. When I got to my master's degree, it was totally self-indulgent as well, but it was the opposite of what I'd done in my undergrad degree. What I did was I decided that I was going to get a distinction. And so I worked as hard as I most possibly could to the detriment of my friendships and the rhythms of my life. It was also self-indulgent. Now I'm trying to learn to do neither of those things, but work to the song of God, not me. Some of you think that being a church employee, that's the Lord's work. That's, that's, the, that's the real work of God. And everyone else, they're just doing secular work and getting by, making sure they get enough money in the bank account every month. That is nonsense. And I'm hoping Genesis 1 and 2 will help you see just how unbiblical that is. Unless you're doing something illegal or you're doing something that's unjust, it's not good for other people, then your contribution of work, whatever that is, is an image-bearing God-glorifying exercise. And I'm not, just talking, I'm not just talking about the kind of work that you get paid for, okay? Let's just clear that up. So some of you might be stay-at-home moms. Some of you uh, might be doing some kind of work while you're unemployed, looking for work. That looking for work might be most of what you're doing in terms of work. So there's all kinds of things that we would regard as work. There are also things that I think that in, the, in home life are also work. And we need to recognize them as that, okay? And so I'm talking about all kinds of work, and that work is God-glorifying in nature. God gives Adam and Eve responsibilities. There were gardeners, landscapers, priests, farmers, vets, poets, and taxonomers. Do you know what a taxonomer is? I had to look it up. They name plants and animals. And it's right here in the beginning before the fall. They weren't just lying around sunbathing, just kind of tossing apples into the air and having a look at the lovely flowers as they bathe in the glorious sunshine. That's, that's, I imagine it rained. There was a lot of vegetation. They were workers of the Lord in this garden temple of the Lord where God dwelled with his people. And as Jesus' followers... We are looking to that image-bearing, God-glorifying work. The reformer Martin Luther said it like this, The maid who sweeps her kitchen is doing the will of God just as much as the monk who prays. Not because she may sing a Christian hymn as she sweeps, but because God loves clean floors. Insert, listen to Bethel on Spotify. The Christian shoemaker does his Christian duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes or wearing one of those gross WWJD bracelets, but by making good shoes because God is interested in good craftsmanship. Through God's rhythms of work and rest, we are supposed to make the connection between God the Creator and us making our little contribution as image bearers of Him. Now, as difficult as it might be to consider that my previous job as a Tesco loans advisor 
is in some way bearing the image of God as I work, that is the way that we're supposed to look at it. So as we look at our work, we must try and lift our heads from the drudgery and from the frustration of work and see its purpose, to join with God's song of creation through it. Paul wrote this to the church in Colossae. He's actually writing to slaves, so keep that in mind as well. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. To reflect the good work of creation doesn't involve scrolling through Facebook as you go. Okay, can we just tidy that one up? It means that we don't have our message apps open all the time as we work. It means that we try to be efficient with what God has given us. It means that we should try to do our very best. It means that we want to reflect the good that we see in the creation story. Notice the song is still about God. It's not about us. Work is an opportunity to image God, but the work itself doesn't become your object of worship. It doesn't become your identity to take on. Lindsay is a doctor, but that's not her identity. Her identity is image bearer. Lindsay's a mum to Annabelle and Finley, but that's not her identity. Her identity is daughter of God. The point of our work is not to discover ourselves in it. It is to see more of God and display more of God by doing it. Being a pastor or a doctor or a student or a joiner or a janitor, football player, football coach, computer programmer, mum, whatever it is, it is to be done from the position of your identity as an image bearer of God and to the glory of God. That means it flows from God rather than you trying to prove yourself to God or to anybody else. It also means we need to stop complaining about it all the time. <laughs> it's easy to complain about how busy you are, how hard work it is. Next time you're tempted to moan about it, let me challenge you and me to thank God for the worship opportunity. It also means that we need to appreciate the work of others too. And there are plenty of ways that we can do that. Look around at what has been provided for you. I can be thankful to whoever made my clothes, be thankful to the designers of Three Stripe, Adidas, love a bit of Adidas. I can be thankful for the food that goes on, my, goes on my plate, whether that's the person who makes it, which I have to confess isn't usually me, and I'm sorry, I would like to be a better cook, and I'd like to do it more regularly, but Lindsay's a much better cook than me, it's easier for her to just do it, because I make a mess, all that stuff. Um, but I can be thankful to her, but I can also be thankful to the farmers who have grown it, or wherever it's been grown, maybe in a massive warehouse somewhere in some industrial complex in Spain, I don't know. But I can be thankful to 
the people who have made it. I can be thankful that God has provided it through them. And I can be thankful for their hard work. Let's put it there. The people who have transported it to get into Lidl or wherever you shop. Hope it's Lidl. It also means that we, that we need to recognize that work isn't about our ambition. It's not about us. And as Christians, we should be distinctive in that. And so that means when those difficult choices come along, when you might think, I'm going to have to sacrifice my own desires to be promoted or whatever it is, because I believe that I'm supposed to do this because this is the right thing, whatever that example might be. That means that in that moment, if you're already working to the glory of God and not to the glory of self and your own ambition, that decision will become a lot easier. So we see this song of work here in creation, but it is also a song of rest, and that's really where I want us to dwell for a bit. I remember so looking forward to our honeymoon. Easy, Lewis. I was exhausted from all the organization and all the hard work um, of preparing a wedding, which I didn't do lots of, Lindsay will remember, but it was still exhausting. <laughs> Thank you, mom and dad. Um, and I, I was also exhausted from working really hard to pay for this honeymoon selling loans. And so I was really looking forward to it. I even had my little lonely planet and my eyewitness by my desk as I was speaking to people on the phone, people I probably shouldn't have been giving loans to, but the way that credit systems work is ridiculous. Travel guides were telling me, oh, okay, this is going to be the best thing that you've done, and this is amazing, and can't wait for this. And so I'm getting really excited. And then we got there, and um, it did not take me long to realize that we'd flown into the wrong airport. And that Sardinia is actually quite a big island. And so we had flown into Cagliari in the south. How's that pronunciation? Where's Joe? Yes. Come on, okay. Uh, um, and, and we had this massive bus journey to go on. So I got on the bus, it's okay, it's okay, I can get through, it's okay. It's not totally ruined yet. And then, we get there, and we get out the, uh, to find the hotel, and I remember Lindsay, like, <laughs> dragging this case along, newly married, like, along this massive built-up strip, which I imagined was some sort of amazing, idyllic beach where nobody else was, past all these drunks and stuff, <laughs> just, like, <sighs> exhausted, and eventually we get there, and um, the hotel is, has totally ripped me off. I mean, the pool was no bigger than Annabelle's paddling pool. And um, the, it was just a bit grotty. Uh, food wasn't great. Whole thing. Then we realized we couldn't really afford to eat in the nice restaurants. And so to be honest with you, I spent the week moaning. Why? Because I'd put my hope in this rest that I was going to get in Sardinia. I hadn't put my hope in resting in God. I wasn't working with a rhythm 
that meant that at the end of work, in different seasons, whether that's the evening or a Sunday or a Sabbath, whatever, whenever that day is for you, that I was going to rest in God. Instead, I was going to rest in this holiday. Self-indulgence and rest are not the same thing. Rest is the beat of restoration, the restoration of God in between the pauses of work. To truly rest is to rest in God. When we don't rest in God, we suffer. We need to know these words, be still and know that I am God. Notice the song's refrain. You read it out. There was evening and there was morning. Stopping your work in the evening as a spiritual practice, if you can. Now, here's what I want to say about this before we go on any further. Some of you are about to switch off. You're like, well, I work shifts. How does this work for me? Well, you, you have to get creative, okay? Because we live in a context where we have electric lighting and 24-hour care is required and all these sorts of things. So we, we live in communities in such a way that we cannot help but some of us work through the night and um, work long shifts and all these kinds of things. So we have to get creative about when we rest, okay? So when you hear me talking, I want you to try and translate that to your life and think, how would I apply that? I can't apply that for everyone right here, right now, okay? So you're going to have to do a bit of work, okay? Okay, so it's worship. And the same is true of going to sleep. So stopping in the evening is worship, and the same is true of going to sleep. It says, I trust in God who constructed the song, who constructed the world in such a way that the morning will come and the evening will come. The sun will rise and the sun will set. So before we even get to Sabbath, we need to recognize that there is actually rest built into daily rhythms too. So for me, I think that what that means is that we need to be looking at working two out of three, probably in that six days. Two out of three in that six days. So two out of three, I should explain what I mean by two out of three. Morning, afternoon, evening. Two of those three. Okay? Morning, afternoon, evening, if you can. So again, you might have a, a really long shift. You might, Lindsay's worked kind of two weeks of 12-hour shifts at a time. Becky, you're the same. Others in the med medical profession are the same. You guys need to work this out around those crazy shifts. There's a brilliant Bible teacher from the States called Jen Wilkin, and she says this, image-bearing means becoming fully human, not becoming divine. It means reflecting as a limited being the perfections of a limitless God. What she means by that is that we aren't our own gods. And we shouldn't try to live as if we are. Constantly trying to perfect our work as if our life's depended on it. Instead, as a spiritual practice, we stop. We stop. And the reason we stop is in part to say, God, you are sovereign. You are in control. You are the one who can do all of this and I can't. I have limitations, and I'm going to stop now. When we build in rhythms of rest, we know that we can't do it all. It's like an acceptance. I'm not going to work through the night tonight. I've got an exam tomorrow, but I'm not going to work through the night tonight because I recognize that even if I do, 
there is a limit to my knowledge that I can take in. And actually, the answer is probably that you worked more efficiently before you get to that point. And then there is day seven, Sabbath. Now, if you were to read chapter two, verses two and three in Hebrew, you would read the number seven three times in three lines, and each time it's the fourth word. In other words, it's the, the word right in the middle of each line, central. It's as if the song has been sung through six days, days that are good, but then, like with what we saw with the creation of humanity, there is a refrain or a bridge where the song dwells here on day seven. It isn't paired with another day, like the other days are paired, so that makes it unique, and it is to stand out on its own. 121, God blesses creation. 128, God blesses humanity. Now, you might expect God to bless those things. But here we are in chapter 2, verse 3, God blesses a day, the Sabbath, the seventh day. Each of those blessings come because God brings multiplication through those things. He brings life through those things. It is the day, Sabbath, that brings us life because we rest in the life giver. We rest in God. Without Sabbath, our work will not return to the God-given, Eden-like work we see here. It will remain in a perpetual state of man-pleasing and self-exalting frustration. The importance of Sabbath is huge in Scripture. It's the fourth commandment in the Ten Commandments. Hebrews reminds us that it wasn't just for the Old Covenant. Not something we can just brush off and say, well, that was the Old Covenant. What about the New Covenant? Chapter 4, verse 9, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from His, referencing Genesis. Let us, therefore, make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Sabbath and all of these rhythms bring us to Jesus. It's a Sunday school answer, and it's right. Jesus. The days, the weeks, the Sabbaths, the seasons, the moon cycles, the festivals, they're all singing a much greater song, contributing to a bigger song, a song that is about Jesus. The rhythm of God's creation cries out, there is more than our own song of work and rest. Our rest that never feels quite complete doesn't just tell us that we're not doing it right. It tells us something much more important than that. It shows us a new song of a new dawn, of stars shining in the darkness, of our hope of spring during winter, of an ultimate day of atonement where the blood of Christ speaks a better word on the cross, 
of the Passover lamb slaughtered and resurrected to give us Easter, not Passover, of God's Spirit and living temples no longer remembered and seen through feasts of tabernacles and temples. Pentecost is the pouring out of His Spirit, and the Spirit is now being poured out on us, the church, and He invites us to enter into that rest, into the presence of God as we reject the ways of our age to find rest in God. If you have believed the words of Jesus and decided to be one of His followers, you can look at your life like God looked at creation and say, it is very good. Do you want to rest from, I'm never enough. I can never do enough. I can never be enough. I'm never quite satisfied in myself. You need to rest in Jesus because he says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is about returning week on week to rest in the good news of Jesus that he is our rest. Your work is not your identity because your work of identity is already done. You don't need the approval of man. You don't need to find your satisfaction in your work, but in the work of Christ. When Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, he declared, Christian, Cameron, Joy, Chisa, it is finished. Look and see, you are very good. Sabbath is not just a day off from normal work to do other work. It's not the, I'm going to catch up on all the things I don't get time to do when I'm working so hard through the week day. It's a day that needs to be kept holy. That's the command that's given in the Ten Commandments, to keep it holy. Eugene Peterson, possibly one of the most gentle and loving pastors who's kind of been given, a, 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 I guess, a, a lot of limelight in Christian circles and who wrote the message, he calls that kind of attempt of Sabbathing where we just try and do all the stuff we don't have time to do any other time, the bastard Sabbath. Sabbath It's about the words of Jesus, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Mark Buchanan, in his book, The Rest of God, says, leisure is Sabbath bereft of the sacred. If this becomes a discipline divorced from the presence of God and full of cold rule-keeping, it is no longer the light and gracious rhythm of Sabbath, but the heavy and burdensome rhythm of religion. Have you ever wondered why God rested? I mean, He's God. Why did He rest? Because this is about the enjoyment and satisfaction of God Himself and creation. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit enjoying one another and enjoying their creation. He is utterly satisfied with the very good of creation. The seventh day is a day to enjoy God 
and all he has given us. Sabbath, in the end, is really about returning to Eden and looking forward to Zion, that great holy city that where the garden temple city will, we will be and we will dwell with Jesus forever and ever. That's really what it's about. It's about the final day, that perfect day. The answer to how to Sabbath well is not a particular technique, but to know who you Sabbath with. How can you best spend time in the presence of God? Okay, as we rest in God, we need to do a few things, so just a few application points, okay? We need to make a regular rhythm space for listening, speaking, singing, and reading. James 4, 8, come near to God and he will come near to you. We need to spend time with our Father, whatever you do. Now, for me, at the moment, that actually means through the week, I need to get up early, even if Finley's been screaming through the night. If I don't get up 45 minutes before Annabelle wakes up in the morning, then my day just goes and it doesn't become about God. I don't work for his glory, and I don't rest in his presence. We need to do whatever we need to do. Learn to say no like Jesus. In Luke's gospel, the news about him spread all the more, it says, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Do you see that? People wanted healed. That's a good thing. Jesus could heal them. Shouldn't he stay and heal them? Well, he doesn't. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Sometimes you have to say no, even when it's a good thing. Prioritize what makes much of God, not yourself. So try making a list of things that you want your life to be about. Now, Lindsay and I have started this exercise. Must finish that, right? Um, and I think it's going to be really helpful, but the idea is to write down these things that you want your life to be about, and then measure it. Like, how often are we actually doing the things that we want our life to be about versus the things that really just waste our time? Then let the results speak to you and change what you need to change. Prioritize what makes much Oh, I've just said that. Prepare for Sabbath. Prepare for Sabbath. Now, the irony is that Sabbath requires work. Ha! Prepare for it. Shop. Cook meals beforehand if you can. Pack the bags. You're going on a, maybe you're going on an adventure somewhere. You want to go up north and be in the hills. Then pack your bag the night before or whenever during the week. Clean the house. If you're a clean freak, don't clean the house on Sabbath. Make sure it's clean before. Now, I know that some of these, you're like, well, that's so unrealistic, and you don't know my life. <laughs> that's never going to happen. Well, I would argue that maybe it's never going to happen because of some of the things we've already talked about. Are you trusting the sovereignty of God day in and day out? Are you stopping? And when you stop, there's opportunity to do these things so that you can prepare for a Sabbath. Constantly remind yourself that a better rest is coming when we finally enter into the ultimate rest on the great day of Jesus' return.
That's what it's about, really. Because as much as we try, and as much as we want to run into the presence of God as often as we can, there will be challenges. And we won't always manage it. But we must remember this. A great rest has already come on us through Christ, but we will enter perfectly into his rest when he returns. And that is the glory and the wonder of what it is to follow Christ with hope. We have a song of work and a song of rest right here in the way in which God has created the universe. It's a song that helps us sing daily and weekly and yearly of the true rest we can find in Jesus. Let's run into his presence. Father God, help us to be people who rest well.